Welcome to The Mend, a podcast sponsored through the Center for Crime Victim Services here in Vermont. I am Anna Nasset, and I will be your host for this bi-monthly podcast and show. Today on the show, we have Debbie Riddle here to discuss a topic near and dear to both of our hearts, and that is stalking. January is Stalking Awareness Month, and we thought this was a good time to look closer at this crime and how people can raise awareness. The show was created to take a deeper look at services, organizations, and concepts for victims and survivors of crime and those who work with them. We want to acknowledge the healing process and provide resources, not only in our state of Vermont, but throughout the country that could benefit victims of crime as they begin to mend. As your host, I myself am a victim and survivor of crime, and that would be specifically stalking. And my healing process and how I navigate the world is an ongoing and ever-evolving process. I went for years from hiding myself and my trauma to standing up and speaking out against crime, and now travel and speak to victim service providers. I always share some of the services and resources I have used to mend myself and investigate all sorts of other services and topics that I can share with you. Our hope with this show is that everyone who has been a victim of crime knows that they are not alone as they mend, and that those who are around them understand the complexities of crimes better. As always, I want to begin with a trigger warning. Our goal is to create a safe place to discuss topics of healing, but with that in mind, we may occasionally hear a story related to crime, discuss our mental health or other sensitive subject matter. We urge you to care for yourself and listen at your own discretion. Today, I am beyond honored and humbled to have Debbie Riddle appearing by phone. I consider Debbie a dear friend, though we have never met. She is a champion and trailblazer on stalking awareness and started National Stalking Awareness Month 16 years ago after stalking affected her family in the most tragic of ways. Like myself, Debbie travels all over and speaks to organizations trying to create a culture of awareness and change. I first knew of Debbie years ago when I was trying to learn about my own situation of being stalked. The work and voice she has created out of tragedy is profound, and I will freely freely admit that I'm a bit starstruck to have her here today and may occasionally get choked up in this interview because it hits very close to home to me. So Debbie, thank you so much for being here on the show today. I would love to start by getting to know you a little bit better. Um, Could you share with our listeners a bit about your history and how you found yourself as an advocate and spokesperson on stalking? Um, Absolutely. Well, thank you for um, thinking of me. I can't be more overjoyed that we we did connect, obviously, in the most tragic ways. But um, I'm always looking for those um, advocates and positive people in this world, um, you know, especially as I go about my own healing. So, my, my family story, um, you know, I was stalked in college, and um, going through that, I really, there wasn't very many resources on campus, and shortly after I graduated, I had run into a police officer who was a good friend and was explaining my situation, and, you know, he said to me, you know what's happening to you, and I said, no, he said, well, you're, you're being stalked. So I, you know, I said, all right, how do I get this person to to stop the behavior? And he said, you know, go and get, go to the police office, um, go to a police officer and file a restraining order, order of protection. And it worked like a charm. So, you know, about 10 years after that, my youngest sister, Peggy, was involved 
um, in a very abusive relationship. And this relationship had gone on for three years. I had watched it unfold in front of my eyes. Um, as an older sister, you know, you, you try to offer advice and words of caution, um, you know, but you, you can only do so much. I mean, she was 30 some years old and starting her career. She was out in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and like me, had met her abuser slash stalker on a college campus. So, you know, Peggy's case was a little different. She left the relationship, um, and he stalked her relentlessly for a year. She did everything that she could to protect herself, um, working with the criminal justice system, filing police reports, um, filing stalking charges, getting an order of protection. She moved out of Albuquerque, New Mexico, out to Turlock, California. Um, and at this time, Patrick didn't know where she was at. And he was at free will um, to go about the country, continue hunting her down. And um, January 18th of 2003, he found her um, out in Turlock and shot and killed her, turned the gun on himself and killed himself. And when that news was relayed to me um, via the police department of my hometown, Poland, Ohio, I knew something had to change. And in that, in those days of sadness and desperation, um, I didn't know what that was. I mean, grief, is so overpowering that it, it can lead you to do some pretty bad, destructive um, behaviors to become a very hateful and bitter person with the world. Um, and I felt that wasn't really the road that I wanted to go on. And and I wanted to do something more positive. And like I said, in those early days, I didn't I didn't really know what that looked like. Absolutely. Um, well, and you've gone on to do tremendously positive things. And thank you for sharing about your sister and about Peggy. And I will certainly be thinking of her and honoring her on the 18th of this month. Um, you have done such made such a huge difference in the awareness of stalking and the work you have done out of the loss of your sister. It's it's saved countless lives. Um, it's saved my life. And and that's really profound. Um, how were you able to shift from that grief and anger to being a change maker? Um, really, it's a very funny story, and I'll just I'll toss some humor in there. Is that, like I said, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was, you know, looking at different um, police departments across the United States, looking to see if they had anything about stalking. You know, I I, I didn't know how this worked. Um, I had people say, you know, why didn't she go to a domestic violence center or domestic violence shelter? And I thought, I never, I never put her in that group. She wasn't a domestic violence victim. She was a stalking victim. So I'm looking at that word and that crime in particular. Um, and one morning um, when my two-year-old left the room, I turned off Nick Jr. And the Today Show was on. And at that very moment, Tracy Baum, who is the director of the Stalking Resource Center in Washington, D.C., was reporting on a um, stalking crime where a woman had been stalked by an ex when he had put a GPS on her car. And I thought, I I need to get in touch with Tracy. And I reached out to her. I sent her a very long email, very detailed about what had happened to Peggy. Um, Tracy called me back after receiving the email. We talked for quite a while. And at the end of the conversation, I said, you know, how, 
how do we get funding for law enforcement um, to have a dedicated officer, a dedicated department to deal with these stalking victims? And, you know, after that conversation and her sharing this um, a few days later with Lifetime Television, you know, they were interested in some stories. Um, you know, they had heard Peggy's story. And you just, you see this snowball effect. Um, and it really encompasses all that's good in the world. Um, all these amazing people came together. And it really wasn't until we went to Washington, D.C. in July of 2003, Peggy's boyfriend, Mark, and I were able to testify Congress and, and talk about Peggy's story and bring stalking to the forefront. Um, Heather Wilson who was in the House of Representatives from the state of New Mexico, had a conversation with me and, you know, clearly said to me, no, Debbie, it, there are laws in all 50 states. It is a crime. I think what we need to do here is educate. And that was a turning point for me when I thought, this is where Peggy's story is going to come to light with many people. It will resonate with law enforcement it will resonate with victims advocates but it's also going to resonate with victims because if victims don't know what's happening to them and they can't identify and articulate that what's happening to them is stalking they may never ever go and report it and i'm not just talking about going to a police department I, they might not even confide in a friend or a counselor or someone on campus or someone at school um, so that for me was, was the turning point. And that's where I thought, you know, as painful as it is to keep telling Peggy's story over and over again, that this story is actually going to be, um, a lifesaver to many people out there. And it has, it has proven over the years, um, you know, even as they use the video and law enforcement training, how many lives it has, have, has saved. Absolutely. It's tremendous. And I mean, I think I've, I've found that as well of using, my story is realizing that, yeah, it is painful to share it and to share all of those those things that were lost and everything else, but there's power in it, and if it saves lives, then I will keep telling it till I'm blue in the face. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that you and I are both in the same line of thinking with that. Um, what was it like to see this this month become a reality? Um, this thing that you were, you know, working on and maybe not even knowing what you were doing, but to seeing that become a reality, um, how was that? What was that feeling like for you? It was, um, you know, to see National Stocking Awareness Month rolling into its sixteenth year um, is. You know, it is bittersweet. I and I love it because I see it pick up momentum every year. When I go to, um, you know, different college campuses and speak, all the activities that these campuses are holding, um, you know, and I look at I look at all the social media posts, and I it, it's it's insane how far we have traveled. I mean, the first year was just let's do a little bit of social media posts. Let's talk about you know the roll call video. Um, you know, these are some, some things that we want to address during National Stocking Awareness Month. So, you know, we came from just a few pages of content to this explosion, this big awareness campaign. And, um, you know, I, I see it. I see it everywhere. You know, I see law enforcement talking about stalking in the month of January. I see college campuses. I see schools. Um, you know, I've got a request from a high school to come and, and talk about Peggy's case. So, 
it's it's crazy to see how far it's come. But like I said, it's bittersweet because I, I look back on that and think, my God, my sister has been gone for that long. And, and that's, yeah. that's the bitter part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Like there's this joy in what we're creating, but it's, it's birthed from such loss. And that's mm-hmm. really, really hard. Absolutely. Um, so Debbie, stalking has profoundly changed both of our lives in every way possible. Um, I think it would be helpful for our listeners to discuss what stalking is and the effect it has on both of our lives. Um, And just kind of if you can share a little bit about the definition of stalking, and I might interject as well and just kind of share what what that is for people to have a better understanding. Yeah, so, you know, so the definition of stalking, I can't even, you would think that I speak all, if you have it in front of you, go ahead and recite it. You would think that I would know this without a PowerPoint presentation in front of me. But, you know, um, go ahead if you have it in front of me. Go ahead and I mean, it's, recite what it is. I don't have it in front of me right now, which is horrible. We both are doing the same thing. But it's behavior that puts a reasonable person in fear. That's, right, and it's directed at a specific person. To yes. create fear. And that that last side, those two things, specific person creating fear is what makes it, makes the behavior stalking, you know, and we talk about, and I'm sure you do when you, when you present, um, you know, and when I give presentations and talk to people, things that might seem benign or harmless to you or I are absolutely frightening to the victim. Yes. And when you're talking to a victim or you're listening to a victim, you gotta, you gotta read between the lines because, um, you know, oftentimes, and this example has been given over and over by many people that talk about stalking, you know, we think of flowers as the gift of love or gratitude or affection or passion. And, you know, when a, when a woman receives flowers and she's frightened and her girlfriends are standing around going, Oh my God, he's such a nice guy. You know, why, why are you upset with him? Why haven't you talked to him? And, you know, you, you have to consider what the victim is going through because maybe that what the victim was told at one point is, you know, the day you come home to a dozen red roses is the night I'm going to slit your throat. Yep. So, you know, there's there's all of these things that we have to think about in stalking. But, the, you know, the prime thing that is the takeaway is is fear, inducing fear to perpetually um, harass, stalk, track, hunt down that person to, to make them live in fear for the rest of their lives. Because even when the stalking stops, the trauma doesn't leave. Nope. <laughs> no, it does not. Um, Preach into the choir. <laughs> yeah, and I think, I mean, and it can be done in such a myriad of ways. Um, it can be done through social media. It can be done by monitoring somebody, by putting a tracking device on their car or in their phone or computer. Um, I mean, there's so many different ways in which the perpetrator is able to commit this crime. And, I mean, for me, one of the things is, like, over all these years, um, the offender used to be at the grocery store a lot. And he was supposed to leave if I went to the grocery store because I had a protection order. Well, he wouldn't. He would, you know, go hide behind displays and stuff like that. So it became almost impossible for me to go grocery shopping because it was so scary. And my friends couldn't understand this, like, why I would go to the grocery store at the most weird hours and just all the protocol I had into place and so it was this very normal activity we need to do became such a place of fear. 
And I mean, that's just another example of like, you know, receiving flowers that you didn't want or these different things that seem, like you said, very benign to other, anybody else, but are very profound and traumatizing to the victim. Right, right. And that's why I think, you know, a lot of times we talk about bystander intervention, um, you know, about when, when you see this behavior, for one, if you see the behavior happening, you know, get the person to stop. You know, if your friend is doing the stalking, you know, talk to them about, you know, that's not the appropriate way to pursue someone. That's not the appropriate way to win her affection. You know, have those conversations. But also, you know, if your friend's the victim, you know, really try and listen and believe them, you know, because sometimes in their head, they have a lot going on where, well, am I crazy? Is it really that scary? You know, do I really need to report this? And, you know, if you have a friend that's listening to this, you know, and I, I say it a lot on college campuses, you know, go and see someone at the counseling center, the women's center or whatever whatever services that campus has, please go and, and talk to somebody because, you know, these victims are carrying around just, you know, tons and tons of weight on their shoulder. And, you know, it's hard to live. It's hard to live a relatively normal life when you have all of this stuff that you have to be, like you said, ordinary activities. I can't go grocery shopping at the normal time that I used to. I have to stay up till 11 o'clock at night and go to the grocery store, you know, late at night. So, you know, there's all of these things going on with this person, you know, and it's sometimes it's too much to manage. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, if you like even now, I mean, even since I've had justice, um, for those listeners who don't know, I just went through a trial earlier or last year and um, the offender was convicted of stalking and is in prison now. So even though I have justice, it doesn't change that trauma and it's still hard for me to go grocery shopping. He lives 3,000 miles away and it is still challenging for me to go grocery shopping or to take right. a walk alone or do all of these things that seem very normal. And I'm supposed to just get back to doing them normally now that I have justice, but it doesn't actually work that way. It's no, been, it doesn't. Um, like, I can speak from my perspective of, of, as a victim how it's affected my life. But, I mean, you are a victim of stalking, too, because your sister lost her life to it. And can you speak to some of the effects that it has had on your life? And you were also um, a victim of stalking in college, so you understand that side as well. Oh, yeah. And I understand what that fear is like. And I'm telling you, even though that was, I mean, long, long, long time ago, I still, I, if there's somebody that looks like him, I will definitely do a double take. And I have seen, this is my stalker, and I have seen men that look like the man that killed Peggy, and I have frozen my tracks staring at them, thinking, you look exactly like the guy that killed my sister. Yep. Um, you know, and there's some things that I, you know, I'm really cautious with my kids, you know, and things that, that they do, information I give out. Um, you know, one of the things, you know, the, the way that Patrick ended up finding Peggy is he cornered a UPS driver, you know, and at the, and it, at the end of the day, the UPS driver caved and gave him Peggy's address. But on the other hand, you know, Patrick was really good. You know, he's posing as a private investigator. He, you know, said, I just need to get a hold of this one. I need to collect some money from her. It's not that big a deal. You know, I'm really cautious now, like I had said to my neighbor, if somebody drove down the street and said, hey, do you know where Sue lives? Instead of saying, oh, yeah, Sue lives right over there. 
I second guess myself on that stuff now because of what happened to Peggy. So there's a lot of things that go into my mind when I'm looking at people, analyzing people, um, you know, when my, my girls are dating or going out with someone, you know, all I want to do is background check them. Absolutely. I background check <laughs> everyone I go on a date with. Are you kidding me? <laughs> or even become friends with, you know, yes. like I, I'm always, you know, if people ask me a question, I'm like, mm, what's your motive? You know, I just, there's a, there's an extra few layers of security around me that weren't there, you know, 16, 17 years ago. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I think our ability to live a relatively, quote-unquote, normal, carefree life is taken away and will never come back. No. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I do the same thing. Like, I'm in a great relationship now. But um, before that, yes, I would background check anybody I went on a date with. And, you know, I just do so many different things to make sure that this is not a situation that's going to happen to me again. Um, right. Because you don't know. And, you know, I mean, especially for me with the randomness of not knowing the offender um, and having no relationship with him, it's just so scary to be like, this could just, one day something changes your life forever. Right, right. Yeah. So today on The Mend, I have Debbie Riddle, the founder of National Stalking Awareness Month. Um, as many vi listeners know, I am an ongoing victim of stalking for the last 8 to 11 years. And as I just said, um, the offender was just convicted and sentenced to 10 years in prison. Uh, Debbie, you were one of the first people I texted when I found out that you were sentenced <laughs> to the maximum. And you have worked so hard to help people such as myself. And I'm curious, looking back at your work on stalking, what your reaction was to this landmark victory um, because to our knowledge, no one's been sentenced for this long just for the crime of stalking without there being another crime tacked along with it. So how do you see something like this and, you know, coming out of that bittersweet place of the loss of your sister, but how do you see a future for all victims of stalking that more will be able to get these sentences and this freedom? Well, your case was the the blue ribbon the best in show the big trophy on the case because in all of the years of doing it that was the biggest victory i have ever heard of i mean there might have been other little small ones but nothing nothing like what this judge did for you and for me that was a bit of peace for peggy thinking oh my god peggy this is this is finally this is finally working justice has finally been been served and you know, I would like to see this happen, obviously, in a perfect world for every one of these stalking cases that came across, you know, a judge's bench for the for the maximum amount of conviction that they can give. I hate to see these cases go into court and get dumbed down and watered down and move from stalking to just harassment and mm -hmm. the, the offender walks free. I, I've had enough of that. And that's why... I continue to do what I do so people continue to hear this, hear stories like mine and especially like yours, you know, and yeah. I, I hope, I hope that judge in your case becomes a prime example to our criminal justice system because it's about time to start siding with the victims in court and not the criminals. Absolutely. I could not agree more. And you definitely got me choked up here. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think like, not to get too into my case, but 
to hear the victim-centered language through the prosecuting attorneys, through the judge, through everyone um, was really phenomenal. And I keep doing this work because I shouldn't be the exception. I should be the standard. This is what everyone should be getting is that justice and freedom. And, you know, I just keep calling, like, since it's the new year and it's 2020, I just keep calling this my decade of freedom. And I'm really excited to see what I can do with that and to get freedom for others because there has to be. Um, I should not be alive and so many people in my situation are not. And we have to stop that. And it's sad that you're a rarity. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it, you know, people will say like, oh, do you know any other, you know, stalking victims? And I'm like, here's the problem with, with stalking victims that are, you know, you want them to tell their story. A large portion of stalking victims are homicide victims and yep. can no longer speak for themselves. The other portion of stalking victims, and I have met many, cannot tell their story. They are so traumatized. I met a woman who works in a prison who came up to me afterwards and said that she had been stalked. This was probably about six years prior to me meeting her. And she got choked up and started to cry. And she said, I still, even though you're standing here, you just told your entire story. I still can't tell it. Yes. Every time I speak, I have that same thing happen. And it's people who are working in the victim service field and they're coming up to me saying this is, you know, this is what I've gone through. And I don't know, I think maybe for myself, I know when I decided to start speaking because I'd been so quiet and so isolated and so hidden, um, it gave me this freedom to just be myself in a different way. And, and you could breathe again. Yeah, you and to breathe, breathe again. again. And um, as one of my friends who she now lives in New Zealand but used to live here in Vermont, her name's Sue Russell, um, and she went through her own horrific experience and became a public speaker. And she said, the more people that know, the safer I am. And I found a lot of power in that as well, of like, the more people that know, the safer I am, and the more change that we can make together. Yes, absolutely. So Debbie, for those out there listening who are affected by stalking either victims themselves or family and friends affected, um, especially family and friends, I mean, both all encompassing, but what tips and advice can we offer to them to, to advocate for themselves and to advocate for each, for their friends and family if they're going through this situation? Um, please seek help. Please yes. seek help. Do not internalize, do not say, I can handle this myself. It's what the offender wants you to do. Um, because you more you minimize the activity, the um, offender takes over with maximization, and that's where we get into um, some really bad, bad cases. Um, you know, when I'm on college campuses, go find go find your your women's center or your women's health center or you know domestic violence whatever they call it on campus. Yep. You know, find find out who they are. You know, and I. I often talk to even like you know freshmen or kids that are like juniors and seniors in high school when you go on to college you know go to freshman orientation learn all the services that your campus has so if you need them you can utilize them learn where you know the campus police is the town you're in um you know look for that town where they're where their um police station is look for the services in that town you know i 
I think the court victims advocates are a wonderful asset. Um, I wish it was something that had been offered to Peggy. Yes. You know, Peggy filed for stalking charges and she was left to fend for herself. So there was nobody to walk her through the system and be her guide and be her voice. So, you know, I would I would say definitely seek these support systems out in your community. Um, I'm not a, I'm, I don't do that work. I'm not a court victims advocate. I'm not equipped to do that. But what I love about my position is that if I get a request from X city, I can contact people in that city and put that victim in touch with somebody. Absolutely. So, I find myself doing the same thing. And I think one misconception, and you said this earlier about Peggy, was um, we see these domestic violence and sexual assault centers and we think we don't belong there as a stalking victim. Well, we do. And going through those doors, even if the word stalking isn't on them, is so important because um, those people are there to help you. And, you know, one thing and I... That's where, that's where the education component comes in, too, because mm -hmm. we want that language to be added to rape, sexual assault, domestic violence, stalking. You know, so these victims can identify and say, oh, they will help someone like me and not be turned away and say, well, I'm not really a DV victim. That's yeah. not for me. Yeah, and I'm starting to see that here in my state of Vermont. And I'm starting to see that more nationally as well, that stalking is being added on. And yes. I think that's so important. Um, and one thing that I know for myself is, even though I've had countless service providers over the years, I am still my own biggest advocate. And I've really had to find my strength to, to make all of these reports, to keep up my logs when he was contacting me or showing up places, to file the reports, to do that due diligence. Um, I had to be my own biggest advocate, but my friends and my community and my family were the people that supported me and encouraged me so that I could do that. There was the, you know, midnight phone calls with my mom where I'm sobbing, looking out the window, scared he's in the bushes, and she was there to answer the phone call. There were my right. friends who hid me at their houses when I was in real danger. And so I think, you know, as much as you can encourage and believe and support and do whatever needs to be done for that victim is so important. And you did, You brought up a really, really good point. Um, you know, loggings. You know, keeping track of, and that's one of the. It's one of the best tools that you can give a stalking victim. You know, how how do I track this ongoing incessant behavior? Get a stalking log, and here's here's what you do. And stalkingawareness.org, Spark actually, I think, houses a stalking log. So they do. You know, date, date, time incident, if I talk to an officer, what was his name, what's his badge number, those types of tools empower the victim and I think, you know, not not make them feel so hopeless in the situation. I think it, you know, and I always say, keep everything, keep the text messages, keep the voicemails, keep social media, screenshot stuff, because that is going to help you build a case you know, against the offender. A lot of people, you know, where we talk about domestic violence, you could go in and, you know, you're all bloody or your your arm's broken. Like, we've got this physical proof, you know, and I think in stalking, a lot of times victims don't report because they feel like they don't have any proof when in reality, they have a lot of it. Absolutely. Um, I think that's so important. And I don't remember exactly what the judge said during sentencing, but that was one thing that he said was, um, he's like, you know, I see case after case 
where I have physical proof. He's like, this is such a nuanced case because I didn't. He's like, but I have seen the physical proof in this case through the continuated behavior of the offender and the drastic effect it had on my life. Um, and I was really glad that he used that language. And I think yes. you made a really good point. Like when all of this was going on, I was empowered by having to keep these logs and having to do these things because you have no control over anything that's happening. But in that moment, it was a step that I could do. And it gave me just a little bit of a sense of voice back. And so I think that was a really good point that you make. Yeah, I, I think I think it really, you know, and victims are oftentimes at a loss, and I really think that's a really great tool for them to have. And, you know, and in order to get that tool into their hand, it's why I keep saying, go, please go talk to someone, you know, because they will provide those tools you need to keep yourself safe and also to empower you. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to switch gears a little bit here. Debbie, one thing that I know that you and I are both very bothered by and triggered by is the romantization of stalking. We oh. see it in movies. We see it in social media, in printed materials. We hear people say it in their comments and language. Um, can you talk about how we as a culture need to shift from this and how people can shift their lens and their language within that. Like, I'm so sick of hearing people say, oh, I stalked him on social media, or, you know, you run into somebody a couple times in a day. Oh, are you stalking me? Like, that's just the right. tip of the iceberg, but I'd love to have you go off on that point for a moment. So here's what, if, if your listeners are on Instagram, um, go check out the account mom.worthy. So this was the double whammy that came up the other day, which I was like, oh, during National Stalking Awareness Month, nonetheless, um, first of all, I have a huge problem with the show You yes. on Netflix. Um, it glamorizes, romanticizes um, everything about stalking. But So my first point was this mom worthy posted this meme of this girl being locked in Joe's cage. Um, you know you're a mom when you're watching You on Netflix and think about a few how a few days locked in Joe's cage might actually be kind of relaxing. So, and I've, I've seen Horrible. this in, I've seen this in, um, in mom's Facebook groups. Um, you know, they're laughing about it. They think it's hysterical. They're like, you know what? Oh yeah. My life is, you know, I've been home on Christmas break. I'd love to be locked up in his cage. Um, I've seen conversations, you know, again it, with mom saying, you know, you gotta watch you. It's awesome. Watch it with your hubby. Um, it's romantic, it's cozy, and I, you think about a victim for a split second and what she's going through. Number one, that image is terrifying. Yes. This woman locked in this, in this cage. Two, the problem I have with things like you and things like stalking memes and things like using the word stalking, meaning to look for you, is it minimizes the crime and in a victim's head when all this is spinning around her head she as well will start to second guess and maybe not report and maybe minimize and start to think that maybe this behavior is kind of normal and maybe think well maybe this is what she deserves because this is this is just the way that it goes so mm -hmm. I don't know what the solution is to stop this but 
I think back on all my years in advertising and back in the 90s, and I don't remember if it was the Ad Council um, in conjunction with another organization, but they came up with a campaign called The R Word. And I don't know if you're familiar with it or any of your listeners have ever seen it, but it was about bringing the use of the word retard to the forefront and stop using that word to equate to someone who is stupid. And that was a, an amazing awareness campaign about using that word. And the whole campaign was just referred to as the R word. And I feel like we have to hop on that bandwagon and talk about what stalking truly is and what truly means and what stalking is not. It is not glamorous. It does not equate to love. Mm-hmm. It's not romantic. It's not cozy. And I, I do not know... I don't have a simple solution other than some big, big public awareness campaign about the use of that word. Yeah. It drives me insane every time I hear it. Well, I'm right with you. I mean, I've had in the early years of all this, you know, eight years ago for me, I've had people be like, oh, you're lucky. Somebody likes you. Like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, what a horrible thing to say. Mm -hmm. Um, And one thing I really try and do, especially when I'm talking to younger people, and, I mean, just hold each other to a better standard with any language. Like, hold each other to a better standard and don't use these words that are going to be offensive and minimize someone's experience. Um, and not just in stalking, but in other ways as well. But just really hold each other to a better standard and hold yourself to a better standard. Right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I, I don't know what the solution is. I wish I wish I did um, have a have a, 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 a an IMAX solution. And it was interesting. About four years ago, I was on a college campus, and one of the girls in the session raised her hand, and she said, um, "Mrs. Riddle, I think I'm part of the problem." And I was like, "Oh, okay. You want to explain yourself?" And she said, "You know, as college students, we use the word stalking a lot." And, you know, I was stalking you on Facebook. I was stalking you in the library. I was stalking you on Find My Friend because I wanted to. And she's like, we don't we don't mean it that way, but that's the way we use it. So she's like, I think we need to I think we need to stop using it, you know, was her solution. But how do you get a campus of 30,000 students to get you to stop using that word? So right. I agree. I agree. Um, well, let's just all hold each other accountable as much as we can. And yes. Yeah, Debbie Riddle has been my guest today talking about stalking and National Stalking Awareness Month. Uh, Debbie, I think we've covered a lot today, but if you could dream into a future, what would it look like in regards to the crime of stalking? Wait, go ahead and ask that question again. Um, If we could just dream into the future, what would Um, it look like in regards to the crime of stalking? um, Well... There would be no stalking because right. it wouldn't be tolerated in our society. Um, you know, I wish it was. I wish it was up there with. And I hate to say this, murder. I mean, we don't. We don't tolerate that. You kill someone, you go to jail. I mean, stalking is so far, so far from that. But you know, on the on the flip side of the coin, if we can start with these younger generations and start having the conversations about what a healthy relationship is. Mm-hmm. And what a healthy relationship is not sending someone 200 texts a day is not a healthy relationship. Calling your partner while they're at a party and you're at home, um, you know, incessantly throughout the night. That's 
that's not affectionate. That's not love. That's not romantic. That's, that's borderline stalking and being possessive and, um, you know, all those, all those behaviors that you don't want these kids to learn. And I, I see these things happening younger and younger, especially with technology, mm-hmm. kids having phones and, and, um, you know, being able to keep in touch with people 24 seven. But, you know, I also think that there's a, there's a lot of education that needs to be done. And I think it needs to start at a younger age. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Um, it has to start at a younger age in schools. And, um, you know, I'm lucky to, to know some people who are doing phenomenal work within uh, prevention and bystander awareness and just teaching what a healthy relationship is. It's so right. important to not only, you know, to, to stop this crime on both ends, that it's not just that we're looking at the offender and how can we raise better citizens who aren't going to behave this way. Exactly. Exactly. Debbie, you have given us a wealth of information today. Are there any points that you feel like we've really left out? Oh, we covered all my favorites. Oh, good, um, good. But I definitely, I mean, you know, people always say, what's, you know, what's one thing that you really want to hit home? I just, I pray for these victims. Um, I, I want them to come to terms with what is happening to them. And I want them to seek help. Yes. And we're here for you. Know? you. Yes. And don't, don't write it off. It, if it feels like a big deal and in your gut, it feels like it's, it's wrong. I mean, you can't say anything better than trust your gut. Cause you know, that, that's why we call it your gut instinct. And if you feel something that's, it's off, it probably is. Um, and if you're not ready to go to police or you don't know a counselor or a women's center, I mean, talk to a friend. Talk to a few friends. Talk to your parents. Um, but don't take this journey alone. It's it's not a safe place to be. I couldn't agree more. I think that's really, really good. And I know that we have both been very fortunate to have people with us along this journey. And that's made it so much easier to navigate in so many ways. Um, Debbie Riddle, it has been an honor to have you here today. When I look back at my own experience with the crime of stalking, I think of countless people that have stood by me along the way. They are the reason I am alive today, and I add you to that list. Um, as I said earlier, the work you have done has saved so many lives, and mine is one of them. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, I look forward to standing with you for years to come, arm in arm, as we continue to create awareness and safety for all victims of stalking. If you would like to learn more about Debbie Riddle, you can visit her website, stalkingmuststop.org. For more information on stalking, you can also visit stalkingawareness.org. And that is the Stalking Prevention Awareness um, Center. I like to close each show with a positive, like, little sentence or message. Um, so if you could share one, like, just positive sentence for our listeners, what would that be, Debbie? Um, I think really in talking to you, Anna, um, this is, this is my sister's work, um, because there is no way without Peggy that you and I would have ever connected. And for that, I'm grateful. Mm. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, and as sad as that is, it's very true. And I'm very grateful to have you in my life. Um, 
So that does it for us this week, my friends. I'm going to go quietly sob for the rest of the day. Um, <laughs> thank you again, Debbie, for joining us. If you have any ideas or questions for the show, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me at Anna at StandUpResources.com. I'm your host, Anna Nasset, and I look forward to sharing more with you here on The Mend. Thank you and be well.